thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. You have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, we'll begin reading in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered to him, or Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We give you thanks for your word. And God, we pray that you might speak to us from your word. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way and it would just be you that is seen. May you have the freedom to speak to our hearts and our minds and may you do a work that only you can do by your power, by your spirit, by your word. And we ask that you would do that for your glory alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you put Jesus on the guest list, grace will crash your party. That's just a settled fact. And this is a lesson that this man named Simon, who was a Pharisee, he learned. Among some other lessons he learned on this particular day, that's one of the ones that he learned. He had put Jesus on that guest list through a, a dinner party and had Jesus invited and grace crashed that dinner party. And Simon missed the point because Simon, this Pharisee, is sitting at the table or more accurately, according to the custom of the time, he was reclining at the table. They didn't sit in chairs around the table. They would have propped up on an elbow and they would have had their feet facing away from the table. It would be a low table. They'd prop up on some cushions and they would eat with their other hand. But Simon is at the table with the Messiah. Simon is at the table with the Son of God himself, and Simon misses the point. Jesus is that close. The one who had been promised, the one who had been prophesied about, and now he's sitting at the table, and Simon misses the point. 
Now, some would say, why did Simon invite Jesus to dinner to begin with? Now, we don't know all the particulars. Maybe Simon invited him to question him. Maybe Simon invited him because he was intrigued or curious. We know that at least some of the Pharisees ended up believing according to the Bible. We don't know if Simon was one of those. But Simon misses the point. He misses the point of the Messiah, even though Jesus is that close to him. Because Simon doesn't see the need for grace. Simon doesn't understand who Jesus is and everything that Jesus wants to do. He, he neglected the need that he himself had for grace. And also, by neglecting the need he had for grace, he didn't extend it to this woman for whom Jesus showed grace. It's interesting when you look at, at Luke chapter 7. This occurs at the end of Luke 7. But all throughout Luke 7, that, that chapter, you find that there is a theme that strings it all together. Jesus goes into the city of Capernaum, there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he heals the servant of a centurion, a Roman military leader. This is someone who was part of the force that took over and that reigned and ruled over their land. And this guy was sympathetic toward the Jewish cause, according to the Bible, and Jesus heals this centurion's servant from a distance. So there's this Gentile that Jesus is showing grace toward, this non-Jew. And then you have, he goes to another little village, and there's a funeral procession, procession taking place. And as they're bearing the, the body of this young man out, Jesus stops them, and he touches kind of the platform that the coffin is on. That should have rendered Jesus, for a time, ceremonially unclean in the eyes of the Jews as they followed the Old Testament law. But we find that the power is reversed. The power that came from touching something a dead body had, had touched, flowing downward and causing ceremonial defilement, Jesus reverses that course of power and God's holiness that is in operation brings this dead kid back to life. So we find this expectation is turned on its ear. And then we find that John the Baptist, who has since been arrested, John the Baptist, in the next section of Luke chapter 7, sends a couple of messengers to Jesus, and, and John is questioning, is this really the Messiah? He's the one who baptized Jesus. But now, when things don't look like John the Baptist thought they would look, Jesus isn't doing exactly what John the Baptist thought Jesus would be doing. John the Baptist sends some messengers to say, John wants to know, are you the one, or do we need to be looking for somebody else? So all through Luke 7, Jesus is turning the expectations of what the Messiah is going to be like on their ear. And then we get to this passage. And he has a dinner party that he attends at this Pharisee's house. Now, when he attends this, this dinner party, we find that this whole incident occurs with this woman who is a sinner, according to the Bible. Now, if the Bible says this person is a sinner, can I just tell you that means the person's a sinner. It doesn't go into detail about exactly what her sins were. Some people have said she's a prostitute. Some people said it's some other sin. We don't know specifically, but the idea is she was known to be a sinner. And Simon 
misses the point. He misses the heart of the Messiah. He misses the message of the Messiah. He misses the person of the Messiah who is there at the table with him. How often does that happen to us? That we're so close to Jesus that we miss his heart. We're so close to Jesus that we miss the message. We're so close to Jesus that we miss the point. We're just so close, but we're not connected. And we're just so close that we miss the grace. So today I just want us to look at how do you do that? How how do you neglect the need for grace? Well, if we look at this passage, there are some things that we find that Simon does that ends up showing that he's neglecting his own need for grace and he's missing the point. The first thing is this. We will neglect the need for grace if we base our worth upon our performance. Simon is a Pharisee. You find in verse 37 of Luke 7, And behold, a woman of the city who who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and she shows up and anoints his feet. He's a Pharisee. The the Pharisees were the perennial thorn in the side of Jesus. And, And you have to understand, the word Pharisee, most people believe that it comes from a word meaning to separate. They were separatists. They were people who wanted to live absolutely holy lives according to their interpretation of God's word. Now we hear that and we say, well, that sounds like a really good thing. Except they started taking God's word and they added to it. And they started adding all these rules and regulations and restrictions. They were the the height of legalism. And then they wanted everybody else to follow those rules and those regulations. And they depended upon those rules and regulations to make themselves look better in the eyes of other people. They were depending upon or basing their worth upon their performance. And that's what you find. I remember hearing a professor one time say it like this. It would be like if God said, don't touch this thing. According to my law, don't touch this. They would come along and say, well, you know, how do we avoid touching it? It's not enough that God just says, don't touch it. Let's create a rule that says we have to stay five feet away from it. And now we're going to follow this rule. The rule is stay five feet away. Well, no, what God said is don't touch it. But they say, well, we're going to create a rule that says stay five feet away. And then later on, someone says, you know, if five feet, if that rule is good, 10 feet would be even better. So we're going to make a 10 foot rule. So we're going to, God says, don't touch it, but we need to understand what we're going to teach is don't come within 10 feet of it. And so they kept adding these layers and these layers and these layers. And in doing so, they eventually began to teach those layers as the law instead of what God had actually said. And so they have all these rules and regulations and strictures and structures they're trying to keep in mind. We find that in John, John chapter 12, some of the Pharisees actually believed in the teaching of Jesus, but they don't profess him openly. And this is the reason, John 12, 43, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They were basing their worth on what everybody else was saying. And it was all a matter of externals. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. 
You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's that five foot, ten foot rule, so to speak, that they're teaching. That's the rule. So they have elevated this to the point, and they're saying, The worth is based upon performance. The worth is based upon what we do. That became their idol. Now listen, we all have idols. We all have things that we want to say. We try to make them run parallel to the Word of God. And we say, if these run parallel to the Word of God, I need to do these things, and that is what's going to progress me along. And we, and we have these idols, these, these false gods that we kind of set up alongside the one true God, and we, try to, we almost try to let them be a little intermediary. Uh, try to let them be a little uh, a mediator, as it were, between us and God. Like, well, uh, I believe I, I need to do this, 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 this for God to be happy with me. And so I'm going to do these things and I'm going to create these things in order for God to be happy with me. And if I just do the right thing and say the right thing and go the right place, then God's going to be happy with me. Well, that's, that's not what the Bible says. We are declared righteous by Christ and Christ alone. We don't base our worth upon our performance. Some of you know, one of the books that changed my life more than anything else, I know you say, what about the Bible? Absolutely the Bible. But one of the books that I recommend and give out more than any other book is Robert McGee's Search for Significance. If you've never read The Search for Significance, let me just tell you, you need to get it, you need to read it, you need to go through it. And if you go through it and say, didn't really do anything for me, then you need to read it again. And you need to read it again until God gets a hold of you through that because it's just how to go through this and look at God's word and apply it to your life in these ways. And one of the things they talk about, or Robert McGee writes about, is the performance trap. I have to meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. So not only do we individually have these personal gods that we elevate, sometimes it's local, it's maybe a local God. It's interesting, when I first moved here, I remember whenever I was in seminary, I had a a professor say one time, he said, anytime you go to an area that you're going to be preaching for a while, you're going to go preach a revival time, or you're going to, you're going to become the pastor, you're going to become a ministry leader, you go overseas and serve in the mission field. He said, find out what the local idols are. Now, we're not talking about necessarily an idol of stone or wood or metal or anything like that. He said, but find out what the local idols are. And so when I, got to, when I got to Lincoln County, I was wondering, I was like, Lord, what are the local idols? Well, I didn't have to wait long because I had three different people walk up to me totally independently in my first six weeks here and say, you know what the major issue is here? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I don't. All three of them said the same thing. People from here in town, they said, we're so obsessed in this region with performance, with appearance, with reputation. That is what we depend upon. Performance, appearance, reputation. How does it look to everybody else? We're so concerned, so worried about what it looks like to everybody else. So so that can be a local idol. I I think these three individuals, you know, I, I think it's probably true. That that's one of the things that we wrestle with. And we wrestle with basing our worth upon performance. By the way, not only do our idols, our little personal idols, our own personal gods, little G God, not only do we set them up in our heart, but a lot of times they have a date stamp on them. We have a, we have a date stamp when we felt most comfortable or most successful and we kind of have our God and we say, if I can only get back to that place, 
If our organization can only get back to that place, if only our church could be like it was in that decade, then, then, because we saw success then, so then we'll be, we'll be better, we'll be suited, and we just need to go back and, and get to that point again. Can I just tell you, unless you have a time machine, you ain't going to get back to any point back there. God wants us to move forward Who, in our lives, in our community, in our organizations, in our culture, in our churches. God wants us to move forward because the world is not as it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. For goodness sake, it doesn't even seem the same as it was five years ago. So things change. But we have to understand, we can't base it upon reputation or status or appearance or performance not our personal life, not the life of our church, not the lives of our organization or our culture. Listen to what Paul writes. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Paul believed that he was doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Just like this Pharisee in the dinner with Jesus, here's Paul saying, I was a Pharisee. I had it all figured out. From the eyes of everybody else, I had reached the standard. I had reached the place. My worth was based on performance. And, and let me tell you, I was performing. And he says, but it was all loss. I counted all loss. These were just things that people valued, and I valued them. But in the eyes of God, they're rubbish. In the eyes of God, I count them as lost to know Christ. But how many times do we do that, right? I've had people say, you know, such and such church, they're doing really well. It must be, they must be, they must be successful. Look at how many people are there. It's got to be a success. All those people can't be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> they can. I remember Henry and Richard Blackaby one time wrote that if numbers alone are a sign of God's blessing, God's blessing many cults more than he's blessing the church of Christ today. It's true. And we're not talking about just drawing a crowd. We're talking about making disciples. That's different. Let me tell you, I had a, uh, there was somebody that I knew one time involved in ministry, a ministry leader. And God just really just said, I, I want you to ask him how you can pray for him. And I thought, just like contact him and ask him how I can pray for him? Yeah. And I was like, okay. Now, granted, I, and I'm not saying I'm I, I'm not saying I'm I'm pushing back on God. I'm saying I just I try to be real careful because sometimes people say God told me something, and you got to be real careful when somebody comes up and says that. And I want to be real careful when I say I believe that God spoke. I really believe that God said, I want you to contact this person, reach out to him, and just say, How can I? I want to pray for your ministry. How can I pray for your ministry? So I. I contacted this individual and I said, I just wanted to ask you, I said, God just really put on my heart. I just want to ask you, what is the greatest need in your ministry right now that I can pray for you? He said, I am so glad you asked. Would you pray that God would send attractive women to my ministry? I'm not making this up. I wish I was. I'm not. I said, huh, 
can, can I ask why? Because last time I, you know, I checked, you know, we don't have like a, you know, like, you know, like, like senior adult ministry and, you know, mid-married and attractive women ministry and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I was like, okay. And he said, because if God would send attractive women to my ministry, then guys would want to be involved. I said, well, thank you for your honesty. You have informed my prayer life. So I got off the phone. I did not pray God send attractive women to his ministry. I did pray. I did pray for him, but not that. Do you see what was happening? You know, he was, he was focused on the performance. Now, and we say, I can't believe that would go on. Really, seriously. But let's wait. I've talked to pastors in the area who will say stuff like this. Boy, I'm praying that God will send us some ready-made leaders. I said, well, why don't you try uh, training and raising up leaders? Nah, it's too much work. I'm just praying that he'll just send me some that are already formed. I'm praying that God will just, boy, you know, uh, so-and-so showed up at church the other day. I had a guy tell me this recently. So-and-so showed up. You know, he's, I heard he's a real big giver at his last church. We're going to do whatever we can to try to keep him here. I said, well, why not just, um, he goes, because he's a great giver. I said, well, is he a great Christian? That's the question. Because if he's a great follower of Christ, then he'll give sacrificially. But if he's just a great giver, but a lousy Christian, come on now, seriously. So I said, listen, you, you, you can't go by those things. That's not the way we operate. We operate by the power of God, by the word of God, by the spirit of God, not by human performance. That's not how we do things. Listen to what Paul says, Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? The presumed answer, actually, he knows the answer. He explains the answer. No, I'm seeking God. I'm seeking to please God. I'm seeking to do what God wants me to do. But you have this Pharisee sitting with Jesus, and he's thinking all in the terms of performance. And I'm the performer, and this woman who's a sinner isn't a performer. So he's neglecting the need that he has for grace. Secondly, related to this, if we want to neglect the need for grace, we, all we have to do is judge others by human standards. Not only do we look at ourselves according to performance, we judge others by human standards. We take human standards and we elevate them. Look at, what, look at what this Pharisee says in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, in Simon's mind, this cinches it. If he was a prophet... And he knew everything that everybody says that he knows. He would know the type of woman this is. And he would not want her to touch him. So therefore, he ain't a prophet. He's not everything everybody says he is. Because if he was, then he wouldn't be doing this. He wouldn't be allowing this. You see what Simon has done? Simon's taken that old, that standard that he's got, that human standard. And now he's judging Jesus himself by his human standard. Have you ever done that? I have. 
There have been times that maybe God starts operating and God starts working and we have our standards in mind of what that's supposed to look like and God starts working and we miss it because we're sitting there saying, well, it doesn't, God doesn't seem to be playing, God's not going to play by those rules. God's not going to do these things. God's not, no, 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 because I've got my standard. It may not even be a biblical standard, but I got my standard. I'm reminded of in the Old Testament when God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint David as king. He hasn't given him the name yet, but all he knows is he's supposed to go to this family and it's going to be one of those guys. And in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, when, when they came, when these sons came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as the man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Look, even even a prophet can miss God's best when he's focused on just a human standard. Samuel was like, look at that guy. He's handsome, tall, good looking. Yeah, that looks like a king. God's like, no, no, Sam, you're messing up. You're looking at it from a human standard. Just like the Pharisees looking at this woman and looking at Jesus and only understanding him from a human standard. And if we take these human standards and we, we elevate those human standards, we can make all sorts of mistakes. Some of you who follow me on Instagram, you saw this just this week. I, I, I posted on my story. Uh, there was a, they had asked these ministry leaders, what's the weirdest thing, strangest thing that's ever happened in ministry? And this one guy was a worship pastor. And he related a story, and, and he said that one time after service, after a morning service, this gentleman walked up with the order of worship in his hand. And they had printed all the songs they were going to sing that day in the order of worship. And he brought the order of worship up to this music pastor and had given each one of the songs a letter grade. Like he had given hymns an A. And anything that wasn't a hymn, it failed. And he walks up and he gives it to this worship pastor. And he says, I just want you to know, you can expect that from me every week. And so the worship pastor said, I went home and I told my wife, I said, I'm so upset. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, I just don't know what to do about this. This is just totally wrong. And he said, and I finally prayed about it. And I decided, so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to have to tell him, you ain't doing that again. And he said, so I prayed about it that night. And, and, he, and then he said, and I woke up the next day and I found out that night. And these were his words. Y'all, he died. <laughs> and all I could think was, if it were just that easy. I mean, you know. <laughs> I don't like so-and-so. I'll pray for you. <laughs> When we start taking human standards and elevating those human standards and making that the determining factor of whether or not God is involved in it, we are in trouble. And so this Pharisee is looking across the table at Jesus saying, if this guy was a prophet, he can't be a prophet. He can't be. Why would a prophet, if he was a prophet of God, he would know exactly what kind of woman he's dealing with here. Because he was focused on that human standard. If we get focused on a human standard and not God's perfect standard, we'll do all sorts of things. You know, we don't have time to read it, but I put it on your outline. In the book of James, 
James says in, in James chapter 2, James writes about how people show partiality to other people based on appearance, based on those human standards. He's saying, don't do that. God doesn't so par- show partiality based upon appearance. So you don't have to show partiality to other people. The problem is we think God is as impressed with people as we are, and he's not. He made us. He created us. He's not impressed with people. He's impressed with what goes on in the heart, and we're to show humility. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He goes on to say that we're to look out for other people's interests as well. And he says, and let this, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, this attitude that Jesus had, that attitude of being willing to be humble even to the point of death on the cross. That's what Jesus showed. But we can't operate just by human standards as this Pharisee did. And then if you want to, miss, if you want to neglect the need for grace, just fail to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus tells Simon this little parable. He says, there's two debtors. One owes a lot, one owes a little. The man who, who, who should be paid back forgives them both. And then Jesus says, who's going to love him more? Simon says, well, I suppose the one that owed him more. And Jesus says, that's right. And then Jesus goes through this little laundry list. Because it was traditional and it was an understood thing that you did whenever you had a guest, they, you would have one of the servants wash their feet. Because the roads were dusty and that was just a sign of common courtesy. So this Pharisee does not show Jesus this common courtesy. It was customary to, to kiss someone on the cheek. Sort of like, that would be like our shaking hands. So they'd kiss him on the cheek to welcome them. He says, you didn't kiss me. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't, you didn't kiss me. You didn't do any of these things. Sometimes they would offer like scented water or like a perfume and they would, they would take that and they would give that to their guests so that their guests could sort of freshen up there before dinner. Jesus said, you didn't offer me anything like that. But here's this woman. She comes, cries on my feet, washes them with her tears, wipes my feet with her hair, takes this expensive ointment, this expensive fragrant oil, and she takes that and pours it out on me, pours it out on my feet, and is kissing my feet. He's like, she gets it, but Simon didn't get it. Simon didn't get it because he didn't see the need for it. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, as he's saying, Simon, you just don't have a lot to forgive. No, he's saying this woman understands that she has a lot to forgive. Simon, he has a lot to forgive too. Listen. The greatness of your gratitude depends upon your grasp of grace. Your gratitude will increase exponentially when you get a grasp on just the kind of grace that has been shown you. When I start thinking about my own life and start thinking about how God has forgiven me and how God has worked in my life and how God has performed incredible things in my life and the closeness that God has allowed me to have with him and just the ways that he's pointed out and corrected and disciplined and worked over my life, I can just tell you, there is, I don't walk around saying like, oh, look at me, I'm just so, I'm so proud. No, because it's like, Lord God, I know me. And because I know me, 
I can't be prideful or proud about it because, Lord God, I know the things you have forgiven me of. And when you get a grasp of that, when you get a grasp of that grace, your gratitude will be extraordinarily great because you realize, Lord, thank you for saving. Lord, thank you for working. The real question is not why is this woman, this sinner, kissing the feet of Jesus. The real question is why was not Simon there doing the same thing? Because of those three people that we see highlighted in this incident, only two of them had an understanding of what was going on. The woman and Jesus. Simon totally missed the point because he didn't see Jesus for who he was. And if you fail to see Jesus for who he is, you're going to fail to see your need for grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, listen to this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be a sin sacrifice for us, fully take the wrath of God on the cross, so that we could now receive his righteousness. That's not based on something I did. That's not based on me meeting a standard. That's not based upon performance. That is based solely upon the grace of God. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, I've got a few, but one of my favorite passages is in Ephesians, found in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Let's start there. Listen to, listen to if, you're, if, you're, if you're a Christian, listen to where we were and what we were before Christ. Let me just tell you, if you've never received Christ as Savior, this is where you are now. But if you've received Christ as Savior, if you've surrendered to Him as Lord, then this is where you were, and not only where you were, but what you were. This is where we all were, where we all are before Christ. And you were dead. Not sick, not limping, not a little bad off. No, dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. That's where we were. That's not just where we were, that's what we were. We were sinning, but not only were we sinning and thus adding to our sin, Paul writes and says, you were by nature children of wrath. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to create it. No, you were just that, by nature. That sounds pretty hopeless and helpless there. But look at verse 4. But God, now this is is what God did. And it's a reflection of who he is. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at all the stuff that God does. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
When you understand Jesus for who he is and you understand grace for what it is, you realize there is no way that we can be prideful. There is no way that we can depend upon our own standards. There is no way that we can depend upon our own performance. No, it is by God. It is for God, period. I'm so thankful for grace. Every now and then I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, I just wish God would just give me what I deserve. No, you don't want that. I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. I want God to show me his grace. And I don't want to miss Jesus across the table because I'm so caught up in my own performance or so caught up in my own standard and so caught up in what I think my identity is that I miss who Jesus is in the middle of it all. That's what we can do if we're not careful. We can depend on all sorts of other things instead of casting ourselves upon the mercy of Christ alone. Psalm 73, psalmist writes, whom have I in heaven but you? Psalmist already, the psalmist knows it's not about him. It's about God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Psalmist writes, it's good for me to be near God. I'm not going to miss him. We're not going to pass each other and I'm just going to kind of say, oh, there was God. No, I'm going to be with him. I'm going to walk with him. He's with me. Can you say that? Can I just ask this? This is the question that I've been asking myself as I've been preparing, looking at this text. Have I invited Jesus to come be near, but I'm missing that fellowship with him? Is there anything in my life, Lord God, that is hindering me from seeing you, who you re- as who you really are? Are, are? are we sitting at the table with him saying, well, Jesus was there at the table. He's kind of a great dinner companion, but it doesn't change us. We've, we've given him an invitation, but are we really seeing him for who he is? Do we invite Jesus to come to the table and say, oh, Jesus, I want you, let me tell you about my performance, Jesus. Let me tell you how good I'm doing. Let me, tell you, let me tell you all the wonderful things. Let me tell you all the reasons that, that I'm successful in this area, Jesus. Are we going to Jesus saying, Jesus, I'm so glad I'm not doing these things. I'm so glad that uh, you know, these people are sinners and these people are doing this and that and the other. And Lord God, you don't have to worry about me doing that. Oh, no, 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 because I'm different. Because I've got, I've got more strength, more sense, more this, more that than that. If we're saying those things in our heart, we're missing the point. We're missing who Jesus is. We're missing the fact that we need as much grace as anyone else. It took just as much blood to cover my sin as it did anybody else's. It took just as much blood to cover your sin as anybody else's. Yet Jesus, Jesus invites us into this love relationship with him so that we can understand the incredible grace that he's given to us and that we can respond in that way to him. That's amazing. That's just, it's so mind-blowing to me that we have that, we have that gift that we can respond to the grace that has been given to us. One time, I remember I, I wasn't here. I preached a sermon one time at a little church. 
And I remember this gentleman came up to me afterwards and he says, good job, you really told him. And, and I didn't know how to respond to that. He said, that's, that's what, I needed to hear that. And I just looked at him and I said, what about you? He goes, oh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I think so often that's sort of our approach to God. I'm good. I'm good at so-and-so. Boy, I sure wish, you know, I wish, oh, pastor, I wish so-and-so could have been there to hear that sermon. They really needed it. I mean, I don't, but they really needed it. When we reach a point that we say, Lord God, speak to me. God, what do you want to say, for, say to me? God, how do you want to change me? God, make me in the likeness of your son because I'm not there yet. None of us are. God, what do you want to do in my life? And so often we're looking at everybody else and we're saying, we're comparing ourselves to everybody else and we're saying, well, but I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And I know I'm running my race better than this person. So pff, I must be okay. The problem is it's the wrong point of comparison. You don't com- we don't compare the way that we run our race to other people running in the race. We compare how we run our race to the one who ran his race perfectly. That's Jesus. And the one who equips us by his spirit and by his power to run that race for him. It's not left to us. So I guess my question is this. Will you just let God ask you, God, am, are there some areas where I'm just missing the point? Could you, would you pray, God, I don't want to miss the work of the Messiah. I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want to miss what he's doing because I'm focused on my own standard, focused on my own performance, focused on all these other things instead of him. W- would you do that? And if you're here this morning and you say, I've never made a decision. If you're watching or listening this morning and you say, I've never made that decision to follow him, then, then you're, you're occupying that place at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins, separated from God. In need of a Savior. But God, who is rich in mercy, he raises us up. God sent his Son, saves us, gives us the opportunity to receive Christ. And by receiving Christ, we receive his righteousness. We receive Jesus' perfect standard of righteousness so that we can stand before God. That is the standard. And God meets his own standard in the person of Jesus and then applies that to our life so that we can stand before him boldly. Not proudly, not in arrogance, not with some self-congratulatory pat on the back. No, but out of a humble heart recognizing we've been given the gift because of what Christ did, not because of us. I don't know about you. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want to miss the Messiah. I don't want to be right across the table from Jesus and miss the heart of the Father. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. God, this morning, as we've looked at your word, Father, I know that so many times we are, we are tempted to hear your word and shrug it off or hear your word or think about all the other people that things might apply to and try to exempt ourselves. Father, there, again, the, the question that we ask is, why was Simon not? at the feet of Jesus 
And we know the answer about pride and standards and his own personal expectations and his sin and all that stuff. But God, may we be people who are never too proud to be at the feet of Jesus. May we be people who are never too, never so performance-based that we miss the grace that is poured into our lives. May we, in our own individual lives, just allow your word, your power, your spirit to tear down those personal or cultural idols that we may have. That we don't depend upon anything other than the power of Christ, than the righteousness of Christ. That we depend upon nothing else other than the grace that is brought to us through Jesus. And Father, I pray if there's anybody that's never made that decision to receive that grace, Father, I pray that today would be the day that like like that woman would just come humbly before Jesus seeking mercy, seeking grace, and you will give it. You will give it. You tell us in your word that we can ask for forgiveness of sins and you will forgive. That we can surrender our lives to you and that if we turn from our sin and ourself and turn toward Christ alone and depend upon him for salvation, then we will be saved. Father, I pray today would be the day many would do just that. Father, I pray for people here this morning that maybe Jesus is at the table and maybe they know Jesus and maybe there are just some things that have crept in some areas of their life and they are depending upon those things more than or in addition to Jesus. I pray that today would be the day that in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that idols would topple. And Father, I know that the flesh, my own flesh, does not like to have my idols toppled. But Father, I pray that you would do just that in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives today. Father, we pray that you would go before us now. Father, we pray that we might reflect Christ to everyone we see. And we would do that in a graceful way, recognizing the grace that has been given to us as followers of Christ. And Father, I pray for any decision that needs to be made this morning, whatever that looks like, may you be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.